Hello everyone and welcome to the Motorsport Commentary, behind the scenes for the June 2017 edition of Motorsport Magazine. Joining me, Ed Foster today, is art editor Damon Cogman, features editor Simon Aaron, deputy editor Joe Dunn, and editor Nick Trott. We're also excited to announce a new face, photographer Lyndon McNeil, who has recently joined the Motorsport editorial team. Lyndon is an award-winning photographer who has been shooting cars on the road and track for over 15 years. Uh, apparently, photography has been a passion since childhood, and he also has an excellent beard. So, welcome, Lyndon. Hello, thank you. Um, so, another full house today, which is extremely exciting. So, we're going to um, go through the June edition of the magazine and give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes information on how it came together and some of those sort of secrets to how it's done. Um, you'll all be publishing your own magazine soon, so we'll have to stop this. Uh, let's start with the cover. Um, it's a lovely photo of Senna, uh, it's with the, the sort of headline, Lap of the Gods. Um, now, this is it's the truth behind racing's greatest laps. Uh, Nick, I'm going to come to you first. Where did this idea come from? Because it's, it's not left field, but it's, it's, it's done in a slightly different way. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a conceptual uh, cover. Um, it came, as many of the, the great ideas um, do in the office, just from a, a general conversation. and. Um, the conversation was, I think, inspired by Joe. Um, Joe's looking at me blankly now. <laughs> Take credit, Joe. It's okay. I remember, I remember this very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had one of those grabbed conversations. Joe, Joe and, uh, was, was reading a book about um, sports psychology. I mentioned that I was fascinated in this kind of out-of-body phenomenon that, that Senna talked about and a few other drivers talked about. Damon Hill talked about it in his book. And, and I think that kind of planted a seed about this concept of how this phenomenon helps um, or maybe hinders the, the, the greatest laps. Then we had a features meeting and we started to discuss some of our own favourite um, greatest laps. Um, and we distilled it and we picked a few laps that we thought that maybe the readers weren't fully aware of. Um, and we refined it a little bit more. Um, and it's it kind of came together, and then it then it then it just kind of it became clear that we could use it as a cover line, um, certainly with a suitable image. The image was hugely hugely important. Um, but what I really enjoyed about this process, and you know, this being a behind the scenes um, podcast, what I really enjoyed was the discussions that we had had as a team, and particularly as we were trying to get a shortlist from a very 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 long list, and there were clear. There was there was a clear thing kind of um, there's a clear thing that emerged, which was there was a sequence of great laps, or there was a single lap, and Joe was very very keen that we had a single lap. There was a single defining lap, not a sequence of laps, because we could have put in um, you know the, the 12, 12 laps of Schumacher in fifth gear or something like that, but we wanted one lap. Um, and before you know it, it was there. But I think. Joe, take it up because I'm rambling a little bit. Well, no, I was, I was going to agree with you. And I think that sometimes, I mean, you can tell when an idea has got legs and uh, certainly in the office when something, you know, has, has got the potential to be a, a cover story dependent on the amount of discussion it uh, sparks when we first talk about it. And, and this one in particular, as you can imagine, the whole office was had their own favourite laps there, you know, what constituted a great lap, you know, was it just the time, was it the fact that, you know, it was a qualifying lap, um, could you put that in the same category as uh, a race lap, was the context of, you know, how important the race, how much pressure was on the driver, should that be taken into account? There were loads of other kind of 
sort of thoughts that everyone sort of threw in, and obviously everyone came up with a with a list. So it was uh, the, the more the discussion went on, the more we kind of thought, yeah, we can spin this out and make this a really, really comprehensive look at what makes a great lap. And I, I think the discussion is going to go on for some time as as well because we've already had one lettering pointing out that we missed Jochen Rintz last lap at Monaco in 1970 and surely that should have been in there. I'm sure there'll be plenty of other discussions along that, of that sort. I mean, we were careful to say these weren't the greatest laps. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, we're kind of opening ourselves <coughs> for an absolute shooing, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> if that's the uh, first lap, I think there'll be a few more. I mean, we're not necessarily a, a, you know, a magazine that does, does the list f format, but I, th I think that there's an opportunity maybe from this that we do um, you know, this does spark a debate about the, the greatest laps, and then maybe over time, if we get some good feedback, and please, you know, if you're listening to this, please, please respond via our social media or, or online, motorsportmagazine.com. Is that a good plug, Ed? Yeah, thank you very right much. That one? No yeah. worries at all. Yeah, please respond and let us know because maybe over time we can compile a list. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe our readers can decide what what were the greatest laps. So, um, but yeah, it's great that this has. Has already inspired conversation. Been on sale for three I think, days. I, I think we've been on. For, yeah, we had been on sale for literally half a day when the first email came in saying, "What about Rinter?" Okay. And it's a good, and it's a good call because I mean that you know that was. Very good. Did you call. perform some some laps at Lyndon Hill, Lyndon Hill or Alton Park? I, I, I might have. I might. I might have done. I might have done. It's, it's con <laughs> can't remember, but it's conceivable. Yeah. Um, right. I'd, I'd, Joe, just before we go on to the, the image choice on the cover, um, you were put in charge of actually doing a bit of scientific research and trying to find out what this out-of-body experience was and whether it actually contributed to a fast lap time or not. Um, how on earth do you, um, how do you begin trying to find something like that out? One of the, the things we wanted to nail down in this was, was to, to kind of make the story or make the, the, the whole feature a little bit more than just our choice of, of great laps. We wanted to just drill down a little bit more and, uh, and, and, give, and give the piece a bit of, sort of scientific um, foundation, really. And, and th this idea of an out-of-body experience has been knocking around for, for a while. Um, Damon Hill, as, as Nick was saying earlier, Damon Hill wrote about it in his book. Uh, Ayrton Senna famously talked about it, um, or talked about being beyond his own driving, beyond his own consciousness. Uh, and I spoke to uh, uh, several drivers who who said that this was a, a well-recognised uh, phenomenon. So, uh, as well as Damon, um, uh, David Brabham as well uh, uh, was very eloquent about it. Uh, we spoke with sports psychologists um, who um, recognised the phenomenon, and neurologists um, who who sort of study obviously study the brain, uh, and and who were very kind of um, open to the idea that, that something does happen to racing drivers in particular when they go right to the edge of their ability and uh, at very high speeds, uh, which can improve their driving. Uh, so hopefully the feature sort of um, explains why that happens and, and what the effect is. It, it's, it's not something that's um, unique to the top level of the sport either. I remember having a conversation with Gilles de Ferran many moons ago, and uh, although Gilles later went on to win champ car titles in the 500, he had a similar experience very early in his career when he was racing Formula Chevrolet in Brazil. And he described having, it felt like he was above the track watching himself from on high and didn't feel connected to what was actually going on at all. And also our own Grand Prix editor, Mark Hughes, had something similar. He was, went from the back of the grid in a TVR Tuscan up to about third at Snetterton. And he experienced exactly the same thing and can talk about it very eloquently. So it's, it's something which is... You know, you don't have to be competing at the very top level of the sport to experience this sensation, apparently. 
I've never experienced it in the MGB. In, in the no. MGB, no, really. No, there's, a, there's always time. Yeah, okay. Well, what's what, I suppose what's interesting as well is that in the kind of hairy-chested world of, of, of racing driving, this sort of kind of, you know, what could be dismissed as, as mumbo-jumbo kind of, um, uh, uh, sort of mysticism, really, um, is actually taken seriously. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it's accepted. And it's an accepted phenomenon. Right, uh, Lyndon, I'm going to come to you uh, for to talk about the, the cover shot. Um, it's quite a general topic, this. Yes. How do you even begin to sort of come up with possible images? Because uh, there's a, even just from the laps that are discussed in the magazine, there's probably 10, 20 different subjects we could have chosen. Um, so just talk us through the process a bit. It's, uh, we, we chose, um, obviously, Formula 1 because it is the pinnacle, but it's also showing where you can see the driver at his most in control of, of the car. I know we, we talk about Beloff in his uh, Porsche, but with a Group C, you just you can't see the movement or the, the undulation that's, that's the, the driver's going through. So with this, we chose um, Senna in Monaco, purely because of having him in the, in the magazine with one of his greatest laps. Um, and this is coming through the, the, the chicane at the swimming pool, where he is completely on the limit, as you can see through his eyes, wheels in the air, and it's just from my point of view a really striking image so you can see that he is fully committed yeah. do you ever do you ever have a, an out-of-body experience when you're choosing photographs <laughs> no <laughs> I, I can't say i have no 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 sore <laughs> eyes still time, you know. <laughs> um just just briefly david could you um just just talk about um senna covers clark covers moss covers there's a there's a sort of thing i think also with music magazines you know putting beatles on the cover there's an uplift in sales, aren't there? It's, yeah, you know, it's good to get one of the big names on there, but it's 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 true, isn't it? There is yeah, there's always there's always a, there's always a slight uh, shift in sales because everybody still loves Senna. Senna still has that sort of mystique about him. He's still got that kind of a X factor, uh, even even all these years later. Um, as him, Senna at Monaco is another another thing again, of course. Um, but the yeah the the idea or the the kind of the modern conception of uh, what makes a striking cover or makes a successful cover is that you use uh, certain things. So women's magazines use Victoria Beckham, uh, as you mentioned, music magazines uh, use certain bands that have kind of uh, stood the test of time. Hence, Rolling Stones still turning up on covers all, all the here, there, and everywhere. Um, so the hope is that hope 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 is that sort of uh, we we get a few more sales due to the due to the fact we've got a. Yellow, yellow helmeted center on the cover in a, in a Marlboro McLaren. It's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible sort of uh, trifecta, isn't it? Senna, Monaco, McLaren, Marlboro, all the, all the rest of them. Yeah, well, I, um, we're going to have to move on because we, we basically haven't even got past the cover yet um, and we t we've been talking for 15 minutes or so. Uh, Nick, I'm going to come to you about the new regular rally page um, that we have on page 26, which is a, a new addition to the magazine. Um, World Rally Championship is obviously very exciting at the moment. We've got Brits in there doing well. OGA's um, going to M Sports. Uh, it's, it, it's an exciting time for World Rally Championship. Yeah. Is that why we're, we're now dipping back into it? Because there's been a bit of a gap, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think you've summed, summed it up um, perfectly, to be honest. Um, you know, we obviously try um, to encompass every key uh, motorsport uh, series and championship around the world. Um, we have limited space <laughs> so it's not easy to squeeze everything in certainly not to the length and depth that, that we'd like so um but this this we we had to do it is an important year for the world rally championship um it's got the soap opera element that we all um enjoy i think in all key motorsports um 
the approach that we're taking is, is similar to the way we report on we report on some of the other key motorsport uh, series. We can never guarantee that we'll be absolutely topical due to print schedules. Um, so we've asked um, our, our writer, who's at every round of the World Rally Championship, to um, just tell us the stories behind the stories. Um, and I think he did a good job in putting the um, success and maybe. Um, some of the dilemmas that, that Sebastian Ogier is um, experiencing at the moment because he was effectively without a drive at the end of last year and he's, um, his life had changed, he's got a young son. Um, and I, I won't give away the, um, the story, but I, I do think we've, I've learned something in here that I, I hadn't read um, and understood uh, in any other, any other media source. So I, I'm pleased with it and it is a regular. We'll be continuing this um, until the end of the season and, and carry on into, into next year. So what might not be a regular um, is Fernando Alonso doing the Indy 500 this year. Uh, Mark Hughes talks about it and in his column on page 31. Um, it's worth remembering that we did actually break this story in the July 2016 edition of the magazine, um, almost 12 months ago. So um, pat on the back for us there. Uh, what are everyone's thoughts on Alonso doing Indy uh, rather than Monaco? Simon, I'll come to you. I just think it's absolutely fabulous. Formula One has become so homogenised insofar as the calendar... Follow, I mean, the, the odd new race comes here and there, but it follows a pretty similar pattern most years. Teams don't, you know, you d we don't get extra oddball, extra entries at local group, uh, local drivers at their home Grand Prix and stuff. Everything's very, very set in stone. And to actually get something which is, it isn't left field because it's happened in the past, obviously Jim Clark in 1965 most famously. But for it to happen in the modern age when drivers are kind of pigeonholed, he's a Formula One driver, he doesn't do anything else. He's a touring car driver, he doesn't do anything else. To, to actually have something like, I mean, I know Nico Hulkenberg did Le Mans a couple of years ago and won in 2015. But at this, you know, a contemporary F1 driver doing the Indy 500, it's, it shouldn't be an eye-opening story, but just because of the way the sport has evolved, it is. And, you know, more power to his elbow. Yeah. Um, Nick? Yeah, I, I, it's off the scale. Absolutely extraordinary, brilliant. For us, personally, as, as, as press, amazing. Absolutely amazing, and, and I really hope that it means other drivers are, are, are looking at, at what to do now. Um, uh, chuffed to bits, even though I wasn't with motorsport then, that, that we broke the story. I think that was really important. Um, and uh, it'd be great to hear from our, our listeners, actually, in terms of who they would like to see kind of cross over some disciplines because you know we've seen it a little bit we've seen Loeb in in rallycross and touring cars and, and testing uh, cars. and testing it and bloody quick as yeah, well yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. podium at Le Mans you know so let's so let's hear from you know our listeners um personally everyone's talking about the triple crown I'm a huge Montoya fan I'd like to see Montoya do Le Mans and go for a go for a win I was I was with him in Bahrain a couple of years ago when he tested the Porsche and um, within three laps he was half a second off of you know works driver pace he was amazing um, <coughs> once they got him in the car you know he was <laughs> why are you laughing why are you laughing uh, why are you looking at me at this point <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a seat issue oh, wasn't right. it? oh yeah, okay. yeah I was busy that um, day <laughs> so yeah well, great brilliant absolutely brilliant and let's let's see what happens next and of course you know let's let's get Rossi at Le Mans yeah as well absolutely he wants yeah. to do it Rossi, Alonso, Montoya, Le Mans. Dream team. In a dream yeah. team. In a, in a Porsche, maybe. If we plant these seeds now, people, people listen. Hello out there. But, but it, it was quite interesting yesterday afternoon um, when the Indianapolis Motor Speedway 
did a video cast from the test session and I looked around the office in the afternoon and it's just one, one orange car going around on its own and pretty much everyone in the office is watching it, keeping uh, it, along keep it, keeping it on. Hang on. Yeah, absolutely. Second, really? <laughs> I didn't know. He was definitely working. Oh, dear. I was out yesterday afternoon. There was a quick bosses coming. Click. Should we move on? Um, so Mark also uh, has a piece on Valtteri Bottas, which was written after the Bahrain Grand Prix, uh, before his Russian Grand Prix victory. Um, but as typically with Mark, it's a very measured piece um, that, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's weirdly, it hasn't dated despite the fact that he's since got a win. Um, I'm going to fast forward on to Dickie Meaden on page 40, who's discussing historic racing. Um, is it the, and he's, uh, he's basically posing the question, is the history the thing that we like, or is it the racing? Um, and should some of the cars that are being raced be raced, uh, or should they be kept as they were in, in period? Um, so I'm actually going to come back to you firstly on this one, because... Because I'm old. Well, no, <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. Um, whatever you Distinguished. say. Distinguished. I think the implication no, no, was clear. Uh, experienced, um, but also that you spend 99% of your time sat uh, or stood beside a racetrack watching these cars go around. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? Um, the more the merrier. Um, the, the body language of... Is, is that race meetings for you or do you mean cars? <laughs> both. both. Um, the body language of the older cars, even with more modern tyres, I mean, they, you know, they still have suspension that moves. They're still exciting to watch. Even one of them going around on its own, it'll be, you know, it'll be. It's not glued to the road, so they they are naturally quite engaging to watch. And when there's a field of thirty or forty of them, marvelous. And we've seen increasingly. Um, I've mentioned it in almost every podcast we've ever done. Uh, Historic Formula Ford, for example. I thought he was going to say Alton Park then. <laughs> <laughs> no, though I mentioned that as well. Yeah. Um, Historic Formula Ford, for example, you've got a clutch of eight to ten really quick young kids racing these old cars with no aero influence, and they just run around. They hunt, they, they hunt in a pack, and they're, they're fantastic to watch. And Ditto, you go to Goodwood, where you've got top-caliber drivers in these nice old cars that slide around, and the, the ferocity of the competition is immense. And it's not just at Goodwood, it's at most historic meetings. It's, it's just fabulous. Linda, do you find it easier to photograph historic cars in terms of getting a dramatic Because they're getting shot. more slowly. <laughs> <laughs> Dramatically, yes, because you've got the pitch and the roll and you, there is generally a lot more going on. Um, modern, I won't say formula or, or saloons, but you don't get the, the aggressiveness in the body, in the body language of the cars, when you know, as they're fighting for position, when you're when you're shooting a modern car, it's just very processional in a way. I know touring cars, there's a bit of argy bargy, but otherwise, it's it's very. Once you're in the lead or in fifth, sixth, that's generally where you stay. But with historics, you just see everybody's battling for position from first down to last. And it is, it's great to, to watch and shoot. And you're generally getting cars full opposite lock through virtually every corner. And that's that's what we're looking for, that that little bit of drama. I was going to say, because if you, if you get a, a modern touring car, Thrux and Chicane, for example, it'll be airborne, it'll have two wheels, but it's still... It's still it's stayed. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's quite flat. Whereas if it's a Hillman Imp, you know, one of the, one of the wheels will be somewhere near the top of the wheel arch, and the other one, will, you know, the but the body language of the car yeah, will yeah, be yeah, very be, aggressive, or on an MGB, in fact. Yeah, from from <laughs> Formula from Alonso doing the Indy 500 to Hillman Imps. <laughs> don't say we don't cover everything in this in this talk show podcast. I'm, I'm going to read um, a, a small a sentence from from Dickie's uh, column because he 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 does a really good job of ex describing um, the aesthetic of a of a historic racing car. Um, 
and discusses the difference between those that have been um, you know, restored almost beyond their original condition and those that have been left with all the battle scars. So this is a really, really lovely sentence here. Uh, to me, patina is magical. Like wrinkles or scars, a racing car with a few stone chips and scuffs or scratches and stains shows signs of a life lived to the full. Yet look around any historic paddock and even those more superficial cosmetic signs of race to race ageing are unusual. I'm not expecting owners to feel cars that look like a Penske, Donahue's war-torn Ferrari 512S or a Lola T70 at the end of the Daytona 24 hours. Though on reflection, that would be magnificent. But a bit of patination wouldn't go amiss. I think it's quite, quite right. And I think he expresses the kind of paradox, I suppose, of historic racing versus original cars um, uh, uh, brilliantly. And um, I don't know what sparked um, uh, the piece, but I suspect it might have been last month's cover story on the RS500, which he drove, and talking to him afterwards, uh, Dickie was just talking, uh, waxing lyrical about the the smell of sweat that he had when he sat in the drive, because this was a completely original car, wasn't it? It hadn't been tampered with at all. Um, uh, it was, it was, it was period. Um, and uh, and Dickie actually loved it, and, uh, and, and, uh, and just said there was something about being in the driver's seat, knowing that nothing had changed uh, in the intervening 30 years uh, since it was raced in competition that, that was magical. I think uh, he would have liked the tyres to have been a little bit... Um, <laughs> maybe the tyres. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> with 500 horsepower, <laughs> yes, yes. But you're absolutely right, Joe. I think, I think that's what inspired it. Yeah, good, good piece. Moving on to page 43, we've got Richard Williams, who's talking about Formula One circuits and the, the problems with them. Um, and he's discussing the fact that, you know, somewhere like Bahrain, um, I think he says even Da Vinci couldn't have created something exciting on a flat sort of desert land. Um, so, but we've got Richard Williams, then we've got Matt Oxley on page 45. Um, I'm not going to go into Formula One circuits because with the people around this table, we will not stop talking about the problems <laughs> with them uh, for many hours. Uh, Matt Oxley on page 45, talking about aerodynamics in MotoGP, which have come in sort of first with Ducati, um, lots of complaints, but you know, they, they might be here to stay. Um, it's also worth mentioning actually that we, on the website, uh, you can ask Matt at most MotoGP rounds this year, you can ask him any question you like. And if he doesn't, well, within reason, um, if he doesn't know, uh, he will then go off and discuss things with engineers, riders, whoever it is in the paddock, and he will answer your question uh, as soon as he can. Um, so it's worth doing and, and quite fun. Um, on to page 46, Hall of Fame. Uh, we are announcing the top three in each category. Um, I'm not going to go through them all because uh, you'll need to buy the magazine to know who, who the top three are. There's some amazing names in there. Um, if only we could induct more than, than we're allowed to because there's certainly more than deserving ones of them. Um, and we've also actually got a number of guests that have been announced. Uh, we've got Ari Vatanen, Brian Redman, Freddie Spencer, John Watson, Joe Ramirez, David Richards, Jackie Oliver, Murray Walker, Paul Hollywood, um, not such a famous racing driver, but a, a chef, uh, uh, Freddie Hunt and James Toseland. So there's loads of guests coming already. Uh, there'll be more announced soon, and you can still buy tickets. Uh, you can do that up until May the 31st, midnight on Wednesday, May 31st. Uh, to book them, just go to the motorsportmagazine.com forward slash Hall of Fame. Um, Andrew Frankel, page 50, he's talking about two sort of recreations, I guess they are. One is Jaguar doing new Series 1 E-types, and then another one is, is called the Mini Remastered by David Brown. Uh, not that David Brown, but a David Brown. Uh, what are everyone's thoughts on this? Because they come in at a mere snip of 285,000 and then 70,000 pounds. Yeah, to the to the table. There's, there's there's a market for them, you know. I mean, it, it's we we get very emotional about the 
concept of uh, a restoration, resto mod, or, or however you, you want to phrase it. But but these the manufacturers wouldn't be doing it unless there was a market for it. Um, I've followed this for years. I'm fascinated by the phenomenon of a, of a resto mod, and I think you can, if you if you wind it back, you can look at what Singer did with with Porsches and they created a whole new um, market a whole new audience for this type of car in the same way that Bugatti did with with the Veyron um, and of course everyone's following and the fact that car manufacturers are doing as well Aston Martin are, you know are doing it um, I, I personally think is is great if people want these cars they're I think brilliant, it's, I think it's great to not get hooked up on the on the price too much because the people that want these are going to pay f pay for, for pay for them whatever. Um, They're generally all sold before they even yeah, announce them. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually, seventy thousand pounds for a mini, <coughs> although is a huge sum of money. Um, if you look at how much a, a mini Cooper is worth on the second hand market in the in the auction world, it's not that dissimilar. And, and, and similarly, a brand new E Type, obviously at the price that it is, or a, a, rest a beautifully restored. Um, series one is is not that far away from what these things are being offered for. So they're not they're not in obviously they're expensive, they're hugely expensive. So have you bought one? Uh, <laughs> not quite. Um, but that that mini is pretty lovely though. Oh my god, that's so yeah, lovely. From, from uh, the, the, the David Brown uh, Speedback, um, I, I think was was a rather challenging um, machine in terms of the, the way it looked and creates a lot of controversy. But I think he's absolutely mm. nailed it with, yeah. with the mini. You know, the, um, the mixture of new and old is just beautifully done. Yeah, yeah. the fact the fact that he's taken uh, modern um, techniques and uh, manufacturing means it won't creak. It won't sort of yeah. all the all the things. Mini won't have transmission wine. <laughs> no, the A frame won't rust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. <laughs> I have I have a request. For our um, for our listeners to to propose and get in touch, the cars that they would like to see, um, either either resto modded or, or, mm. or reimagined or reimagined, because there is another step that manufacturers haven't yet been brave enough to to, to take, and that's that is the Singer approach. Um, so the E type that we see here is is an E type, whichever it's a brand new E type. But what about an E-Type with modern mechanicals, which is kind of what Singer does with, with the Porsches. They take an old 964 and they put more modern mechanicals in it. And I would love to see a car manufacturer take the kind of aesthetic of an older car, but put modern mechanicals in it. And, mm. and I'd love oh to my hear God. some <laughs> suggestions. I mean, personally, things like a, you know, 635 BMW or you know, like with a modern modern kit in it, you know, would be off the scale. Well, that, uh, <laughs> in the in the in the hot rod world, there's there's uh, the the V10 BMW engine exactly. is used massively because it's obviously it's just cheap cheap sort of uh, and uh, it's still dropped into old three series and five series. And but to a manufacturer approved version of that, oh my god, can you imagine? That would be so amazing. You two would be bankrupt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, even more bankrupt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did happen to ask a. Um, Manufacturer of modern British supercars the other day whether they would indulge themselves in um, something like this, and it was a very, very firm no, <laughs> very firm no. But so it, it, um, it's not it's not just the big manufacturers. I noticed that the Lister, well, Lister just released a new road car, which, uh, uh, yeah. which looks absolutely stunning. Uh, so it's small brands as well, which are, uh, being, have been bought and, uh, and and are now producing um, uh, road cars as, uh, as well. I think I think the fact that manufacturers are being this brave is to be celebrated as well. The fact that they're making these steps and sort of uh, putting these things out there is is fantastic. You know, giving people the choice is is amazing, albeit expensive, but uh, but but equally, yeah, the fact they're doing it is great. Mm. Series one and Esprit. 
on a modern Exige um, platform with a V6. I'm looking at we're, we're, we should let's press on to the features because we we we've talked about the greatest laps. We we did that at the start. Um, there's we've next got a feature on page 96 uh, called Chasing Belloff. Um, which where Dickie Meaden tries to break Belloff's ring record in Toyota's LMP1 machine. It's not quite what it says on the tin, though, um, is it, Joe? Um, well, it's uh, it, it is in a way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was so a newspaper man. <laughs> <laughs> we have um, yeah. Well, we've we've enlisted the help of uh, of Toyota, who have uh, very kindly um, lent us their simulator uh, and reprogrammed it um, with the original um, uh, uh, Nordschleife route, uh, which is the one that Dicky that Dicky takes on, um, and he. Um, uh, uh, obviously, you know it should be a done deal. I mean, this is a, uh, a you know a car with thirty years of uh, of technical advancement compared to Belov's um, uh, vehicle, and th- and th- th- you know it sh- it, it, we, he should even given Belov's you know uh, talent behind the wheel and Dickie's a very good driver, um, it, he should be able to break this record. But and he won't get hurt if he um <laughs> <laughs> and there's no fear if he, <laughs> if he gets it wrong, so he can yeah. he can push the limit. Um, but the I mean I won't ruin the story as to whether whether he manages it or not. But uh, the way uh, Dickie takes us through um, the, the the obviously the history of that particular record um, and how he attempts to, uh, uh, to 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 beat it is absolutely fascinating and gives a brilliant insight as well into uh, what modern um, endurance racers um, uh, and how they uh, how they train and what they go through. There's sorry. No. Yeah, I was just going to say. I mean, this is no you know this isn't a PlayStation type simulator this is this isn't a forza game this is the the simulator that toyota use pretty much all the time um to work out strategy to to figure out dynamics it, it, this is the proper sim you know I, I, the mind boggles in terms of how much this thing costs so so this is the closest we can get to lapping a modern you know lapping launch life in, in a modern endurance car although we did ask I'd say I did. I did ask. <laughs> I knew what the, the answer was going to be. But, you know, could we? Okay, so let's try it on the sim. But Toyota, I have to say, are absolutely brilliant. You know, they do, manufacturers tend not to let people go into their sims. Um, but wow, what a story! And um, I kind of, I kind of like the fact that the sim was also imperfect as well. Again, I won't, I won't give too much away. But the sim. I love the fact that the most modern technology and the biggest brains created this sim, but the sim had trouble getting its head around Belos ring lap. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was like computer says no at some point, wasn't it? <laughs> it was brilliant, absolutely. But the other thing, I mean, talking about the sim, I mean, the the level of, of um, detail that the sim reproduces, I mean, it, it reproduces the camber of the road uh, as you go around, uh, as you go around the track. It reproduces the bumps that you get in the road. I mean, it is so lifelike. Um, it's, it's, it's quite, quite, quite astounding. Uh, we then fast forward on to page 102. We've got Mark Hughes talking about Ferrari's sort of re-emergence. Um, this fascinating piece sort of about the philosophy behind the success they've had. And he talks about high potential people and high performers, um, which in its sort of most basic form refers to giving people opportunities to take on more senior roles rather than going out of house and hiring big names. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting look at kind of explaining why Ferrari has managed to turn things around between the end of last year and this year. Uh, page 106, the, uh, this feature called Square Roots. Lyndon, I'm going to come straight to you. <laughs> um, it's the story of a racing Volvo 242. Um, 
Jack uh, Phillips is the, the guy who wrote our online content assistant um, who loves Volvos and has a 240 himself. So I think it was quite difficult for him to leave. Uh, but it wasn't an easy day, was it? Because the photos no, were No, it's, quite it's tough never. To you're always challenged on a shoot when you never know where you're going to be or what you can do with a, with a car, especially if it's not a track test. Um, we were given a location which was the restorer's home address, I believe, and a quick Google images to try and find where you're going to be. Um, yeah, we, I won't say we struggled because you make the most of what you're given on the day. And I hope, you know, the pictures kind of do it justice, shall we say. So it was an Im a big heavy car that didn't move, but, <laughs> but we managed to move it, get it outside, the sun shone on us and uh, we, we, were, we were lucky enough to shoot it and make it look beautiful. In, invariably, though, these magazine shoots, they never quite go according to plan, do they? They're never easy. There's never a plan. How <laughs> <laughs> right. No, you never know. You kn I mean, track tests, you never know if the car's going to break down or what the weather's going to be like on the day. You can't guarantee everything. So you, you just you have a, a small plan in mind, and if you can, if you can tick all those boxes and, and more, then, then you're always happy. Sorry, Damon, I thought you were going to jump no, no, in there. No, no, um, no. Just going to say, the, uh, obviously, with the, this is, it's, a, it's an odd choice of subject matter, but it, it just <laughs> illustrates, the, um, illustrates the, uh, the diversity that Motorsport has. And, the, and uh, I, I love the fact that we can have uh, the Ferrari fe F1 feature and then the next feature, you turn the page and you get a, get a Volvo 242. It's fantastic. It's not by accident, though, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> absolutely not. No, we have. I mean, since the beginning of the year, we've looked, haven't we? And we've actually, hmm. in a way, we've categorised... Um, Features and we've we've um, and there's one category that's called weird S <laughs> S H, H something T yes, yes. Um, and b because there's always a feature that pops up this this falls just into that one doesn't it <laughs> I think it does yeah a little bit um, but we do we are conscious especially you know Damon and I and Joe when we're looking at the flat plan we're conscious of things like the pace of the magazine and 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 we're conscious that when people are flipping through the mag they they need to be stopped in their tracks and. Um, so we flat plan the issue like that, you know, we plan where the, where the pages are. Um, and, and Damon's absolutely right, we've gone from a, a roundup of some of the greatest laps in history to a piece on inside one of the world's most advanced simulators, to a piece on modern Ferrari and F1, and then a flying brick. <laughs> so, and, and I just, you know, I still feel like a fan of motorsport, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a newbie, but I still feel like a fan, and I, and I can see myself going through this issue going, oh, brilliant. <laughs> what, a, what a stopper, you know. So, um, and have we gone from that to another contrasty piece? Yeah, well, then yes, haven't we, Simon, I'm going yes. to come yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah. Is this is because I'm old again? <laughs> uh, you've got potential. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. But on page 114, uh, it's a piece, uh, piece called Friends Reunited, unsung 60s sports car racer Digby Martland, um, and you went off and you reunited him with a Chevron V6. Yeah, I mean, the actual idea came from, uh, originally came from Kevin Kivlocken, who owns the B6 nowadays. And he called me and said, look, um, I've got this thing, I've discovered it's Digby Martland car. Digby was, as you said, unsung. I mean, I knew the name quite well because I am from the north near Alton Park. And uh, Digby had a lot of success with Chevrons <laughs> at Alton. I'm not sure I saw where, him. Sorry, where? Alton Park. <laughs> um, not Loton Park, Alton Park. The, um, anyway, I, I might have seen him race late in the 60s. I don't know. I was too young then to be registering all, <laughs> registering all the names and chassis type numbers and things as I would start doing early in the 70s. 
But I mean, he, he raced from the early 60s, mid 60s through to 1970, then stopped. A lot of success with Chevrons. Uh, Kevin had the car, and we decided to try and track Digby down. We knew he was in Jersey somewhere, and we made various phone calls trying to find him, and weren't having much success. And then Kevin came up with the idea of director inquiries, and Digby having quite a distinctive name. We found there was only Dig one Digby Martland in Jersey, and we we actually tracked him down despite using all our racing contacts between us. In the end, directory inquiries. And that's, that still exists. Well, apparently, yeah. yeah. Well, it wow. might be called something else nowadays, but it's that's how we found him. And um, you have he heard of the internet, haven't you? That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work. I promise you, it didn't work. That's um, amazing. And yeah, anyway, we found him. We got him over. To, he was coming over to Silverstone, so we photographed him with the car. And subsequently, I met up with him in London uh, a couple of months later to sit and discuss his career. Yeah. A lo lovely, lovely gent. And he's got the, the one, one thing that comes across in those, those photos is how, how delighted he was to kind of uh, be reunited. Well, with the car. When, when I asked him, what it, it was the first time he'd seen that particular car in 50 odd years. And I said, you know, how did it feel seeing it again? And he, he actually started to falter as he spoke to me because he was, you know, he still has a really strong emotional attachment even though he walked away from the sport in 1970, never to race again, you know. No. Uh, I mean, I know Simon sat in front of me, but this is a, this is a stunning piece. Um, you know, well, photos. Photos are great. I, I, just yeah. in <laughs> I just actually slipped in 20 quid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 25, Simon. Um, no, really, really. And I guess, I know we're blowing our own trumpet here, but what, what we do and what Simon does really well is extract these incredible nuggets of information that um, we've never heard before. And, you know, we, this is our, this is our life and we, you know, we have a lot of knowledge by now, but your, your comment about, um, or the quote you got about Digby's run at Avis um, and the fact that he qualified fourth, the only Chevron, uh, we all set off and I was swept along in the draft of three Porsche 906s down that long, long straight. So soon ran out of revs. I had to let the top three go or the rev counter was going to be way off the clock. I mean, I, I, I was sat in that car uh, reading that and I think that's what Motorsport and Simon does, does absolutely brilliantly. So great story. And I know some people may turn the page and won't recognise the face, um, but I really, really, <laughs> I do ask people to have a good read of this because it's a cracker. Yeah. Now, it's going much further afield now. Uh, it's the long and winding road, page 122. Uh, Frankel had been to Bathurst and um, he gets all the good jobs, doesn't he, Andrew? Um, but, uh, <laughs> hello, Andrew. Whiff of jealousy, <laughs> Whiff of jealousy there, yeah. I think. Uh, <laughs> but you were too busy it, with spreadsheets. It, it is a, this is a fantastic trip, though, isn't it? Because Bathurst, I think, it's the first time Andrew's been, um, and I was asking the office yesterday if anybody had actually been themselves, but no, no one has on this team, but it is... I'm, I am working on it. Yeah, well, you're too busy at Alton Park, so you can't <laughs> go to Bathurst. Um, but it is, a, it is a bucket list event and trip, and it's, it's lovely how Andrew talks you through the history of the race and how it was this sort of wild, hairy, kind of dangerous thing to spectate at, but it's, it, that's been toned down a bit, but it hasn't lost its character. Which yeah. I think gets, gets across very well. Yeah, uh, again, uh, firstly, really, we, we were the only um, UK title to be invited um, to, to attend this um, and, and spend some time with, with Bentley. Um, so that was great. Um, that, you know, good, good, good for us. Um, so uh, Andrew was, was dead keen um, uh, to attend and he, he, he writes beautifully, Andrew, and he, he really manages to weave the. Um, history, as you say, the history of, of the event um, and the colour, um, with the kind of this, the challenge that, that it, 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 
it serves up to the modern cars, the modern GT3 cars. So um, he follows a soap opera nicely of what was a very dramatic um, race. Um, and yeah, really well done. I know Lyndon didn't didn't shoot this one, but some, sadly some, not. No, some great great <laughs> photography though. In this there place, is, isn't yeah. There? I particularly love the shot on one two seven. It's an angle that you don't see that often, isn't it? It's yeah. You're not you're not often given access into the cars that that easy. Um, now, it's, uh, hopefully, everyone around this table knows that it's Father's Day coming up on June eighteenth. Do we all know that? Uh, yeah, do now. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, I great, I feel something coming on. Great, great sons you all are. Um, <laughs> I just, but it is. Uh, it's coming out on Sunday, June the eighteenth. Uh, and if you want any kind of present ideas or anything like that um, for a, sort of a discerning, a discerning motorsport fan, then we do have DVDs, books, luggage, bookazines, um, loads of stuff on the motorsport shop. So do, do have a look at that. It's motorsportmagazine.com forward slash shop. Uh, you have been warned. Don't forget it. Um, Right, the, uh, we kind of briefly touched on this earlier, Nick. Um, you were talking about the, the, the pace of the magazine and things like that. Um, just tell people how you do that, because there is a board in the office that used to have stupid quotes that the editorial team had said um, throughout a working day. Uh, but it, there, is a, there is a way of doing that rather than just having it on the computer, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, some of it's by instinct and, and some of it's um, by, by design. Um, I think... To be honest, I think Damon's a little bit better at this process <laughs> than Mr. I am. Mr. Organised over here. Um, no, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you're right. The, the, where have the quotes gone off the wall? They, no, they're, they're, behind, they're behind my desk now. Oh, okay. The next to the board. The most important thing is that they, they still exist. Um, yeah, pace is hugely important. The board now shows uh, yeah printouts of each page and we can move them around kind of like a... Um, I don't know, crazy Tetris, <laughs> 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 uh, and we can see how the pace goes with Damon. Go on, you, you uh, no, uh, no, it's, it's just a way to format the mag. It, it, the, every magazine has a has a has a, a, an invisible structure to it, um, and uh, w when you skim through a magazine, you never really consider that, and rightly so. You should all enjoy it for what it is. But um, behind the scenes, there is a there is a framework that it all kind of adheres to, and the board on the wall, which we could put a picture on online or something. Yeah, we, we'll, could, uh, yeah, we will. We will straight, straight, yeah. we'll put a photo and then give away the next issue while we're at it. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, <hang on. laughs> Rewind. Um, oh, a sneak preview. Some sneak preview. Yeah. yeah, there we go. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 flat plan and the and the board illustrates this flat this 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 sort of idea of a magazine in a big uh, flat format that you can sort of move pages around and uh, kind of just be very clear about how, how the pace we mentioned earlier on about the going from uh, a modern F1 story to a 60s uh, sports car to a 80s uh, touring car so it's all all usually by design it kind of sometimes there's a happy accident in there but nine times out of ten it's uh, it's usually designed that way and created that way not blind luck then no. look at that <laughs> team of professionals um to go back to the magazine we've got lunch with paul stewart on page 134 and those of you who've listened to our podcasts and things uh, will know that we also did a podcast with him that was released very recently um but there is there's a lot more in the lunch with um that than in the podcast, so it's worth uh, reading one and listening to the other. Nick, you're looking at me and keep waving. Your, are you about to throw your microphone at me, or are you, <laughs> yes, you going to say no. something? Well, do you know what? I mean, I know you're, you're the you're the anchor um, for this. That's with an A. Um, so you you rarely. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, but you rarely get the chance. How long have you been thinking of that joke? No, I was I was saying it. Saving it up for weeks. No, no, it just it just came into my head, and I was thinking, should I say that? Should I say that? So I'm sorry if I've just offended anyone. I'm not sorry I've offended if anyone else. Paul Stewart said far worse during the podcast. He did say far worse. But okay, right. Where this is going is that because you host host this podcast, you rarely get the opportunity to comment on what's in the issue. You sat with us when we did the Paul, you know, we worked with, with Paul on the podcast and he was, he was a great guest. So your, tell us your impressions, Ed. I, I thought it was very interesting because I think, um, I think a lot of sons of famous racing drivers uh, find it very difficult to cope with that. Um, but what was fascinating about Paul is he totally accepts that the fact having, you know, his father, Jackie Stewart, as his father, um, kind of helped him in his career. Uh, the other thing I thought was fascinating was that he is someone who's very happy with where he got to. And a lot of drivers who you know, got to where he got to, Formula 3000, uh, just, you know, did a Formula 1 test, but never, never actually got into Formula 1. Um, he's kind of okay with that. And, and, he, and he comes across yeah. as, a, as a sort of, he's totally accepted that. He had success with Stuart Grand Prix. Um, but it's a very interesting life because a lot of drivers are kind of, you know, are all about excuses and you know, it didn't work out because of this, something like that. But he's, he's not like that at all. And very grounded considering you know, he was picked up from school by Sean Connery. Yeah. You know, yeah. <coughs> he's a very balanced individual and a realist and um, just, you know, thoroughly engaging and good bloke. Yeah. Um, now, t- we're going to just do... Can I just, t- yes, sorry, sorry, just jump in just quickly just to, just to um, uh, big up Andrew Frankel a little bit as well because um, we talked about his Balthus feature there as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think he's... Because he's, he, he's very well known for doing his reviews and he's brilliant at car reviews and I just think this... Um, uh, this interview, this lunch with, just shows that he he he's can very good at do lunch as well. Well, that <laughs> 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 he can he can write he can write a be- he can do a beautifully written uh, and perceptive interview as well. Uh, and I thought it read ex- brilliantly. Um, we we are sort of sadly out of time, but I would just quite like to talk about Demolition Derby's Home Demolished, um, <laughs> which is a sort of photo essay. So I think that's what, what we call that's it. That's how we ended up with, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's because he couldn't make photo documentary fit in the little uh, bubble thing as he wanted. It's all about the <laughs> sodding <laughs> design. <laughs> yeah. um, as it Lyndon, should be. This is, this is obviously you know, the fact that Wimbledon um, has closed down, yes. uh, but it's, you didn't just go there and photograph the place when it was closed. You've, you've actually been there and and, and done it on numerous occasions to kind of get the, sort yeah, of the history f- of it as well. From my point of view, um, this was before I, I joined the mag full time. So it was, a, it was a, a phone call conversation with Damon about this idea I had. And his words to me were, please don't offer this to anybody else. Now, it's, it's quite a bizarre for motorsport to feature, shall we say, banger racing and stock cars and everything else. But <laughs> Except for Simon, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, through my freelance career I've always been fascinated by people and the people behind the helmet rather than also just the car Um, and knowing that Wimbledon was going to be closing I spent the last month of racing going every Sunday to see the people behind the the whole event so banger racing stock cars and and the people at Speedworth that, that ran the events and it was just fascinating to go from say a Formula One paddock to to watching people repair cars under a spotlight in the absolute pouring rain with, with a hammer with a hammer and, and an, chain, angle grinder. an angle grinder and it's just for me it was so amazing just to see the the the, the craggy faces the the the, the, the passion on the the faces throughout um, and it's a, it's a shame Wimbledon's gone because of 
what you could have seen there and and even seeing at the last event where the locals were coming from Wimbledon to, to something they've probably never seen before to kind of give it one last hurrah kind of thing and I hope that we've portrayed it in a I know we were only there for a month but to portray it in, in its all its glory shall we say yeah, yeah I, I mean I have to say for, and again I know you're just sitting a couple of seats away but um, I was at several of the uh, final few meetings I mean I raced at Wimbledon a few times in the 1980s um, in borrowed stock rods and bangers and various other things um, very different place but I think you've captured the spirit of it Thank you. wonderfully well um, you know I was there as I say and uh, Sad it's gone. Uh, no more short oval racing now inside the M25. There were once zillions of similar venues in London. All now gone. Yeah, it's a, it's it's actually very, sort of quite eerie. Some of the some of the photos. Uh, there's one um, of kind of inside. Is it the grandstands or inside? Uh, where is it? There was there was still a half a bottle of whiskey left to kind of inside. Oh it was yeah, we, we it were was as if there was kind of a, a bomb went off and everyone just ran out of the building and it was left. We were invited back on the on the Monday after the final event and it was literally like you say the apocalypse had happened and and it was just left for the demolition crew to come in and yeah there were the officers were still there from the day they locked the door and walked out but it, it was it was very eerie the second day walking around very you could you could almost hear the cars going around again even though they weren't because but, but you got access to the half of the stadium that had been closed, closed for the last for 20 odd years or something. yeah 10 whatever it was yeah, yeah. But, uh, that that was yeah that was quite special was that because the, the asbestos the asbestos pigeon so. uh the things Debris. you go through for uh, for Motorsport Magazine. Uh, there is another t- piece, another feature behind this called Secret Le Mans. Um, and would everyone in the office has contributed to, to this about the best things to do at Le Mans, the best ways to do it. And we've also spoken to different people outside the magazine as well. So if you are planning a trip to Le Mans, it is actually really worth a read. I'd, I've been there loads of times, but, but learned something. Um, and it's uh, it's brilliant if you do need to go to Le Mans because I think too often um, you just end up booking something not really thinking about what, what you're doing and, and how to go about it. So uh, do give that a read. Um, there's also, obviously, after this, uh, columns from Gordon Cruikshank, uh, Simon on my right, Doug Nye, as well as Private View, Data Trace, and Finish Line with Wynn Percy. Um, and loads more that we haven't had time to discuss in, in this month's issue. Um, but uh, we, could, we would be here for days uh, if we were actually going to talk about every single detail. Um, and then you wouldn't buy the magazine. So uh, there wouldn't be any point in that. Um, Nick, thank you so much. Damon, Pleasure. thank you. Lyndon, thank you. Joe, Simon. And thank you so much for Alan for recording all our dulcet tones. Um, we'll be back next month with another motorsport commentary behind the scenes. And we'll be talking about the July 2017 edition of Motorsport Magazine. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye-bye.